Russian media right now is warning that the escalation by America and all of NATO to arrest Vladimir Putin and bring him to trial will lead, in effect, to World War III. It's being reported that in South Africa, Putin was asked not to come to the BRICS summit. They say that this is because an arrest warrant was issued. We have a reference by BBC and other reporting outlets that, according to the information from leading South African newspapers like the Sunday Times, they are negotiating with Moscow at this moment in time, offering Putin to participate in the BRICS summit via a video link rather than meeting on the grounds. They say otherwise, South African authorities will be forced under law to arrest the Russian president on the basis of the decision by the International Court of Justice, which is binding on the countries that participate in the Rome Statute. This is a quote. We have no option but to arrest Putin. If he comes here, we will have to do it. That was a representative of the South African government speaking on a term of anonymity. Now, the Sunday Times also reported last week that the president of South Africa created a new special government committee, one that was being headed by the country's vice president, which is supposed to study options for authorities that they would use in the arrest of a uh, diplomat from another country. According to the reports and the publications that were released, the committee will not be able to find any options that would allow Putin to come onto the grounds of South Africa or any of the uh, participating countries. In August, the summit of the BRICS countries is to be held in South Africa, which is the Russian uh, president's invitation status, showing him as arriving there at that time. South Africa recognizes the jurisdiction of the court of the region, which issued the warrant for Putin's arrest. They say that under law, they must comply with this arrest or else they will be forced to, uh, you know, secede their uh, terms of the agreement. In 2016, the South African region tried to withdraw from the ISS against the background of a visit from another uh, reported war criminal, the ex-president of Sudan, that was Omar al-Bashir. Then the court stood in the way, which recognized this step as unconstitutional. They're questioning right now what the consequences will be in the geopolitical realm if a country moves forward to arrest Putin. I want you to look at what's happening all over the world. Egypt is actively exploring the possibility at this moment in time of trading in local currencies as part of its key commodity trading partners, which include China, India, and Russia, each move to reduce their reliance on the United States dollar. This is actually happening, folks. And when we have people in the economy and in the United States government, look at Janet Yellen, look at the Federal Reserve, look at the uh, U.S. government. They all say the U.S. economic structure is good. It is sound. And then we have some of the largest banks in the world folding and the U.S. taxpayers coming to the rescue of these banks and then actually making illegal moves to purchase depositors and purchase banks in other uh, deposit structures. This is a move of war, an act of war against the United States dollar and the U.S. economy. Russia and China have been very out in the open. They've been very outspoken about this recently, this year, when they said that a new world order was rising, one that no longer needed the United States of America as the top of the, uh, the top dog, so to say. In areas across the USA, look at what's happening in real estate. It's in crisis mode, just like it was back in the year 20, uh, 2008. In one area, in America's West in particular, you have medium, median home prices down 33%. A record 30% of offices sit vacant. 30 million square feet of office space sits on the market. Cell phone activity is down 70% in just the last couple of years. And 10 million square feet of office space is listed as subleasing space. This is a crisis. And a housing crash is an understatement. China has rejected all American attempts to establish what they call hotlines of communication, which increases the risk of military uh, confrontation between the countries, according to analysts. You've seen these lines of communications being used in the past, uh, especially with the USA and the USSR during the Cold War. 
Now, the United States of America says that communication channels with China would reduce the risk of unforeseen situations during military operations, but China believes that growing U.S. support for Taiwan, the Philippines, and other countries that stand against it undermine any trust and that a war is the only thing that will see dominance in this new spectrum. Take a look back at what we have happening here in the USA. The IRS is hiring special agents that are prepared to use deadly force when necessary. They're paying up to $95,000 per person. This is what happens when an economy fails and it moves toward a, uh, a, a dictatorship. You have high degree tax enforcement. You have basically armed thugs that go around to get your money if you're not going to give it to the king or give it to the queen on your own volition. The IRS uh, is hiring armed special agents, according to these reports, across the USA. And you've likely heard about this because when it was first reported a couple of months ago, the IRS and the U.S. government came right out and they said, no, 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 we're not doing that. Don't worry about it. And they hoped that this was the same psychological cycle game where they would let it out in the open, receive the shock and awe from the general community and the citizens, say, look, we got it wrong, we're making some changes, brush it under the rug, and then when it came back again, even heavier this time, people would already be accustomed to the fact that you're going to have these federalized agents that are there to take your tax money. The agency's new criminal investigation unit wants people who are legally allowed to carry guns already. These agents are set to work at 50-hour work uh, weeks, and they will be on call 24 hours a day during some cases, even during vacations. Now, the IRS is hiring these special agents who shouldn't be afraid to use deadly force, according to some of the memorandums that we have seen. Criminal investigation and law enforcement branches of the IRS are looking for agents in every state of the USA who can combine accounting skills with armed law enforcement and skills to investigate financial criminals. This is according to a jobs posting website. Now imagine this time in the United States of America where people stand up and say, I love living in this free country. And in this special mode of duality, you turn to the left and you have federalized tax enforcement agents who are there armed taking the money from people who won't give it to the kings and queens willingly. You do not live in a free country like you propose. These special agents are duty sworn. They are law enforcement officers who are trained to follow the money, according to the reports. The agents will investigate financial crimes, money laundering, tax-related theft, terroristic funding, and they will be the only IRS workers who are permitted to carry and to use firearms in the line of duty. They're required to work a minimum of 50 hours per week, always on call, even during weekends, even during vacations. These agents, which in another time, in another reality, you might call them Gestapo, will be fit so they can effectively respond to what they call life-threatening situations, according to the jobs posted. They will conduct arrests. They will conduct search warrants. They will conduct dangerous assignments. But most importantly, they must legally be allowed under federal law to carry a firearm. The agents will be provided with the means to protect themselves and to others from physical attacks at any time. This is a quote. They will protect themselves or others from physical attacks at any time and without warning and use firearms in life-threatening situations and shouldn't be afraid to use force up to and including the use of deadly force. Now, you're going to see a lot of people who say, well, that was just one jobs posting. That was just another. And sure, if you go and you talk to a, a person about joining the army, one person might say, yeah, we're going to get in there and we're going to take out every terrorist in the world. And the other person might say, yeah, you know, come on board, and, you know, join your education, uh, join for your education, get a degree, come out of the army smarter. But no matter what the person you're talking to when you're about to join the army says, if Uncle Sam says you're going to go pull that trigger for us when we say to, that's exactly what you're going to do. And so when you have this back and forth, left and right in the media saying, oh, they're going to use deadly force, the other side says, oh, no, they're just there. The, the, the guns are to protect themselves. Then you're going to see when Uncle Sam says, shoot, they're going to say, how many rounds and how many uh, uh, pieces of lead do I put down range? 
According to a posting on the website for government jobs, the IRS is seeking agents in each of the 50 U.S. states. The posting lists hundreds of vacancies. The rules are expected to pay between $53,000 and $95,000 per, uh, per year, according to USA Jobs. Applicants must be U.S. citizens. They must be aged between 21 and 37 because we need them malleable, don't we? The IRS would not respond to requests for, com uh, for comments from local reporting outlets. There you have it, folks. We have the entire United States of America falling apart right before our eyes. But it's not just what's happening in the USA. We have things happening all over the world that show this entire world as we knew it is crumbling. India has become one of Europe's largest suppliers of refined fuels. At the same time, India is buying record amounts of Russian crude oil, not adhering to American and Western-led sanctions. I saw a meme recently where it was a, a, a two, an Indian girl and an Indian guy, and she had a straw down in a coconut, <clears throat> you know, drinking the coconut, but then another straw going over to uh, another companion, and the coconut was the oil, the girl was India, and the companion was Europe. That is to say, she is nastily funneling the money, or uh, funneling the oil from Russia out to Europe. This is how corrupt organizations get around current sanctions and things that are happening. We just have to be aware of it because the corruption that they use means that it will be harder for the little guys, you and me, to even make ends meet. I want you to look at what the, what's happening in banking. Small banks, their share of commercial real estate, uh, real estate loans by year in 20, uh, 2007 through 2009 was 54%. 2022, it was 65%. Now it sits at 70%. Meanwhile, over $1.5 trillion worth of commercial real estate debt is about to mature in the next two years. Regional banks right now are already underwater. What's happening over the next uh, 24 months is going to just add fuel, gasoline to this fire, and this is a much larger crisis than anyone is talking about. What can you do to get ready? Well, the first thing you can do is make a good decision at every opportunity that you have. I had a person on yesterday's video said, you know, Brad, I have these family members. They don't want to uh, realize what is happening. I think I just want to cut them off. And if they come to my door asking for help, I'm just going to, you know, at the end of maybe even, uh, you know, some sort of demand or violence, tell them that they are not welcome here anymore. And I, from a personal point of view, don't really see that as, you know, the only option that a person has. You're going to have a lot of people in this world. Remember, Three out of five people in demographics are on mind-altering medicine. A lot of them need it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not putting down people who want to get help, and the only help they can seem to find is chemical pharmaceuticals. I'm just saying that a lot of people are stretched so thin in their mental health coping capabilities that they literally cannot take the reality, especially the negative reality of what's happening in the world, ingest it and not have it turn their whole life upside down, get suffered into a all curled off uh, form of depression, cry themselves to sleep every night, you know, suck on their thumbs and ask for milk. I don't blame them for that. This is the world we have created and we have allowed a corrupt government structure on both sides of the political uh, realm. We have allowed corrupt corporations to take advantage of the people. We've allowed a modernized form of slavery and the amount of work that they want you to do just to make your ends meet. And so, of course, a lot of people don't have the mental fortitude to be able to handle what is happening. So when you have family that literally can't handle it, and so the only way that they can cope is to say, you know, YOLO, or they, they don't want to see, you know, that doom and gloom. They just want to watch their, you know, kitty cat videos all day long, every day. Don't blame them for it. Just if you have it in your heart to put a little bit of food away, put a little bit of help away, and then when that reality is forced upon them, because that's what happens, you go through life and you pretend it's all rainbows and candy canes, but then sometimes reality is forced upon you. You have to make that decision. Do I break it or do I make it? And so if they make it and they do come to you uh, at, the, uh, at the day of reckoning, then you'll be able to say, hey, look, I've got a little bit of something for you. This is going to help you get started on your own. And they might be an asset to you instead of just a burden. So don't just throw everybody away just because they can't handle it right now. 
tell them it's okay. And, uh, you know, don't tell them you're prepping for them because that's enabling and you don't want them to rely on you as a crutch for their own ability to get through what's happening. Instead, just say, okay, you know, I, I understand where you're coming from and you don't want to see that negativity. You don't want to see what's happening there. Don't try to shove it down their throat. But so, you know, if you get to a time where you want to live like our grandparents did to survive the Great Depression, to survive World War One and World War Two, then, you know, just let me know and I'll have some, you know, written down pointers and I'll help you out a little bit, you know, in the things that you can do to get started there. That's the best way that you're going to help those type of people, in my own opinion. If you have other ideas, please leave them down in the comment box. From my family to yours, please stay safe, remain vigilant to what's happening, and keep watch. This week's Full Spectrum News is brought to us each and every day by you, our members here on YouTube. This is the only place we publish videos. Join us in the community. Talk down in the comments. Now, Kelly and I and my oldest son and a couple of our moderators and friends, we're putting together a Discord that is only going to be for our Patreon members because... Family and fellow soldiers, I'm the professor, and this is the moment of truth. You know, they say that crime doesn't pay, but that's not true at all. Crime pays very well. It always has. And there's been those in government who like to reward criminality. Take Barack Obama, for example. He's been getting caked off real sweet by the powers that be for over 25 years. And it ain't chump change either. But it is blood money. Barack Obama himself is worth an estimated $70 million, the lion's share of which he's gotten since he left office. And it comes from things like speaking engagements, where he commands around $400,000 per speech, also from book deals and from Netflix. In 2018, Barack and Michelle together signed a multi-year production deal with Netflix to produce series and movies for the streaming service. In fact, Barack Obama was making money off of his sudden white media notoriety long before he got to the White House. He made an estimated $6.8 million from his first book, Dream of My Father, which he wrote when he was running for the Illinois State Senate back in the 90s. Then almost $9 million from his second book, Audacity of Hope, which was published after he had become a U.S. Senator and was gearing up for his presidential campaign, even though he had publicly said he had no plans to run for higher office after he got in the Senate. And Barack Obama hasn't been alone. Michelle Obama's been cashing in, too, and on the same bases. She made $36 million for sales of her memoir, and she's part of Obama's Netflix deal, not to mention she charges $200,000 a pop for a speaking engagement. Not many former first ladies are in demand for speaking engagements, and none of them gets to charge that much money except for Hillary Clinton, who, by the way, gets the most of any former first lady. You gotta give Michelle and Barack credit, they've made a fortune doing nothing. Well, nothing for black folks. This is how corporate America rewards these political whores when they get out of office. They don't invite these mental midgets to give their speeches because they care about what these empty suits have to say. After all, when these puppets were in office, these corporations were the ones barking out orders at them. So it's not as if they suddenly become interested in their pearls of wisdom once they leave office. This is part of the machine of political corruption in the United States. This is how bribes get paid at the highest levels. The corporations and these rich plutocrats get tons of government handouts and policies tailor-made to benefit only them, and then when their presidential puppet is out of office, they reward them with what amounts to a corporate pension. Tens of millions of dollars. For basically nothing. This way, nobody can claim that such-and-such such senator or such-and-such such president took any money while they were in office. Of course not. They get their bribes and payoffs after they leave office, when the cameras are gone. Not that the white media cared much anyway, but the same white media companies that depend on the government for favorable policies, they would make a big deal out of it even when they do mention it. Barack and Michelle have become the epitome of being more interested in doing well than in doing good. Recently, Netflix announced that there's a new documentary starring the failed former president. It's about work. I'm not sure exactly what that means, other than working people in the U.S., it seems. And when you look at the number of views, it's pretty obvious that not a whole lot of folks seem terribly interested in the former president's current misadventures. Judging by the trailer, this latest, whatever this is, seems exactly like the kind of innocuous fluff that wouldn't upset the white corporate overlords that Barack and Michelle currently get so much money from. Now, the documentaries that Michelle and Barack have made in the last couple of years for Netflix haven't exactly set the world on fire, 
Most of them have come and gone without so much as a buy your leave. But this isn't about getting the public to pay money for these things. This is about what amounts to political money laundering. This is about white media companies that promise money to the Obamas while they were in office and pay it to them when they leave. Okay, so why is Obama in particular resurfacing now? Probably because Joe Biden just threatened to run for re-election, and they know that cadaver needs all the help he can get. At least Obama is halfway conscious. Biden doesn't even know what year it is. He thinks he's running for high school class president. Obama's <laughs> arrogance is only matched by his complacency. He figured that since black voters put him in office, even though he promised us nothing, and then voted to keep him in office after four years of his doing nothing, as far as he was concerned, we were all just complete fools. And to be bluntly honest, there were a lot of black people who should have known better and yet chose to play the fool anyway. But not anymore. That critical mass has been broken. When Obama was stumping for Hillary seven years ago, he had the nerve to say that he would consider it a, quote, personal insult to his legacy if black voters didn't support Hillary. Now that shows you the levels of contempt that this clown had for black people. He didn't do anything for black people. He's gonna just wagging his finger in our faces and saying, I consider it a personal insult if you don't secure my legacy and put Hillary in the White House. Now, he did all this stuff for the LGBT community. Gay marriage became the law of the land and he even lit up the White House in rainbow colors on his watch. He did all kinds of things for the LGBT community, but he didn't go to them lecturing them that he, it would be a personal insult if they didn't vote for Hillary. And the same thing goes for white women. Barack Obama's very first act as president was to sign the Liddy Ledbetter Act. That had to do with giving a sop to the feminist contingent. But he didn't go up to any of those white women and wag his finger in their faces and say, I know a lot of y'all are planning to vote for Trump, but I consider it to be a personal insult if you don't vote for Hillary. He didn't do that. He didn't do that with the Hispanics. He didn't say, after all I did for you with DACA and the DREAM program, I would consider it a personal insult if Latinos don't vote for Hillary. He didn't do that with those other groups. He only pulled that mess with us because he was going to show that he was the head Negro in charge, that he speaks and black folks joke just because he says so. That's the level of contempt this scumbag has for black people. Well, this was an opportunity that black voters weren't going to miss to show him a personal insult, to slap him in the face by staying home on election day. The ego landed with a thud. He could no longer pretend that the black voters loved him. The white media couldn't either. Trump's election was a repudiation of Obama's eight years of refusing to produce for the base that put him in office. The bastard actually said, if you want to give me a good send-off, go vote. Well, we gave him exactly the send-off he deserved, a kick in his pants on the way out the door. I mean, the sheer nerve of this worthless piece of trash. He sat on his hands while black people were literally being murdered in the streets. He did nothing to produce anything tangible to put in our hands. He totally ignored us. On the few occasions when he wasn't ignoring us, he was intentionally making speech after speech, excoriating black men in particular. He didn't have to do that. He wanted to do that because he wanted to show he has nothing in common with us. Well, we showed him we got nothing in common with him either. The world got to see exactly how much clout Obama didn't have with the black community. But please don't let the white media giving this guy some bones fool you. White supremacy is about guarantee of outcome. It's about ensuring that a certain demographic gets the spoils without having to earn it. It's about making sure that success and failure are guaranteed based on color and not on merit. And a large part of the paradigm is to confuse the internal politics of those it wants to keep oppressed. That means black people. But you can't confuse anyone's internal politics unless you got some operatives on the inside. This is why white power is so reliant upon the use of bootlicks, why it spends so much time and effort cultivating them, not that they gotta try very hard. Traders and turncoats who have agreed to sell out their own people are easy to recruit. This way, we're fighting enemies from without and backstabbers from within. This is why you have so many Negroes who are only too happy to engage in whatever level of buffoonery and appealing to stereotypes that they know the white media wants. It is completely well understood that if a black person wants to get a contract from the white media, especially in so-called entertainment, the fastest way to get one is to be the biggest, most shameless stereotype you can be. Issa Rae does it, Tyler Perry does it, Lee Daniels does it. Most of these Negro celebs are on that mess. 
So expect to see more PR stunts like this as we get closer to next year's election. Obama has been mostly in hiding, giving his high-dollar bribery acceptance speeches, er, I mean public policy addresses. And what we're seeing now is the beginning of the white media's effort to rehabilitate Barack Obama. They're hoping that just enough time has passed that hopefully black people's attitudes towards him have softened. This is the first step to trying to humanize him, trying to give him some sympathy, to show that, oh, he gets it, he, he's on the side of the working people. No, he's not. Barack Obama is what he's always been, a self-interested social climber. He was always looking for the next mountain to climb, President of the Harvard Law Review, Senator, President, these were nothing more than goals for him to mark off the bucket list. And he would do anything to get there, and he did. But white power is hoping they can still get some mileage out of him. So we're seeing him starting to get trotted out for these kind of appearances. Obama wasn't all that visible three years ago when Biden ran. He did just enough so that it could be said that, well, Biden wasn't distancing himself from Obama, just enough so nobody could say, well, gee, Biden clearly feels like Obama was a political liability. He didn't even want to be seen with him. Now, he did one or two quickie appearances, but he wasn't out there talking about securing his legacy this time around. He wasn't talking that crap three years ago. And he wasn't singing how great Biden was either. Didn't he give a presidential medal of freedom to Biden? Instead, Obama was doing what you expected. He said, uh, well, he's not Trump, and left it at that. Yeah, we're not going to talk about how bad Biden's reputation is with the black community. Biden, the author of the 94 crime bill, which turbocharged the prison industrial complex. Barack Obama is not politically radioactive per se, but clearly the bloom is definitely off the roads. He's damaged goods with the black community. Sure, there will always be a contingent of weak-minded Negroes, mostly the black baby boomers, who will love him no matter what. Hey, Bill Clinton signed the 94 crime bill into law, and you still have mobs of black folks who were simply willing to love him and line up to shake his hand and even line up to vote for Hillary when she ran for the Senate. It takes a lot of black people a long time to finally become disillusioned. To be sure, Obama will always have that core group of simple-minded Negroes who still want to live vicariously through someone. But the days of him being able to pull huge crowds of young black people are long gone. The phony persona of him being a transformational figure is behind us. He can no longer pretend as if the white media can convince us that he defies political gravity. Time has revealed him to be just another political prostitute whoring himself to the highest bidder. He can serve all the boxed lunches he wants and smile that insincere toothy grin of his. The magic is gone. The white media's artificial aura of specialness dissipated as black people became more and more disappointed with him. The white media can give you a platform, but they can't give you legitimacy. His bootleg buddies like Oprah couldn't fix that. Hell, Oprah couldn't even help out her pal Gail King. Never let the younger generations forget who and what Barack Obama was. That's what our mission is. Those of us who had to live through, or rather who managed to survive the Obama years. In time, you will have fools from the white media trying to link Obama to Dr. King. Well, Dr. King never got in front of audiences and talked down to black men. He didn't try the pull-your-pants-up routine or any variation on it. Dr. King indicted the system of white supremacy. Obama, on the other hand, attacked the victims of white supremacy. The white media will intensify its efforts to launder Obama's image through propaganda. After all, he was an invention of the white media, so his failure to maintain his prestige is actually their failure to maintain their own. And of course, they will persist in putting him in front of friendly audiences, which they will front load with Democratic Party shows and operatives. That's why these so-called town halls are all staged events where the people you see in the seats have been vetted five ways from Sunday, not only to make sure that they won't ask any embarrassing questions, but to make sure that none of them tries to speak out of turn either. Barack Obama is the ideal black leader that white power would like, and there's a lot of Negroes who would like to be the next Obama and carry on the white media's lies to get there because they hope the white media will carpet bomb us with puff pieces and praise in their publications after these turncoats leave office. They hope the white media will save them from the scorn they've earned. Don't dream. We're not about to let the white media or any liberal mouthpieces write Obama's page in history. We're going to do that. 
He can pick up all the speaking fees he wants, and the white men who pretend to listen to his speeches don't respect him. Well, at least in that regard, they have something in common with the black grassroots. Obama is getting paid by them, but ultimately the idea was that he would be a useful tool to be able to lead us around by the nose. The aim being that the power of nostalgia would be enough to keep us in check. Anytime we became agitated to obtain our power, they would just send out Obama to tell us to simmer down. He would sing a few bars of Al Green. It had worked before, right? He would be their ultimate Negro whisperer. They'd just trot him out whenever we were getting rowdy, and he would put a leash on us and tell us to heal. Only it didn't go down like that because the black grassroots wouldn't let it. They can put Obama on a Netflix PR piece every month if they want. Hell, they can give him his own TV station, just like they did Oprah. And he'll wind up crashing and burning, just like she did. Money doesn't buy respect from us, and it won't make us forget either. All the speaking fees and book deals in the world will never change what Obama is or how we see him. Obama's bank account may be worth millions, but I wouldn't pay a penny for his soul. Good day and be one. I'd like to take a moment to mention some of our contributors. Vicki Mabry-Hate, Burkett Cockcrane, Eric Bailey, Cloud Walker Z, and Tamika Armstrong. Salute to them and thank you to everyone for listening, liking, and sharing this message. Black empowerment only exists because of you. What up, Bill Black family? Hey, it's Nini here. Hey. We're gonna uh, do a full spectrum survival, you know, the prepper. So his title is, I have been warned. Things are about to pop off. Let's see what's about to pop off, because uh, I'm in the fuck America Economists state. Economists all over the world are saying that in 2020. Uh, Economists all over the world are saying that in 2020, Powell warned that the Federal Reserve would deliberately allow inflation to run over 2% for a few, uh, few years. They said at the time, he said that this was to make up for all the years that it was below 2%. This would get the average inflation rate up to 2% to 4 to 5%. And since the new policy was never officially abolished, the Federal Reserve has now a target that is uh, well above 2%. For years to come, they warned, we are going to see higher than ever inflation and the American people are going to, in effect, be suffering through a great recession and a great depression as it was uh, dimed or termed in previous years. This was before they started changing what the clinical definition of actual recessions were. Commercial real estate is in trouble across the USA. According to Morgan Stanley, half of the $3 trillion in, a, in commercial mortgages, those will need to be re, uh, renegotiated in the next 12 to 24 months. <clears throat> they say that new lending rates are going to be up by four, uh, 350 to 450 basis points and vacancies are going to hit 20 to 30%. Now, this is a massive part of China and Russia's moves to bring down the U.S. economy. And it's working. Texas, uh, in the state of, uh, state of Texas in the USA, passed a bill that would ban the purchase. Now, this is a good bill, don't get me wrong. It bans the purchase of farmland by citizens from countries like China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea. And in fact, I wish that each and every state in the USA would enact a similar bill. The problem is that while the rest of the world is shunning America, because we have become so politically sold out to these other countries through every form of globalization known to mankind, they, the US relies on money from these dictators, from these communist countries, from all these countries that on the face of politics, they all condemn. They're getting money left and right in the back. Multi-tenant apartment building sales have dropped 74%. This is the most they have dropped since the year 2008, according to outlets and economists posting for the Wall Street Journal. Taiwan as a country has sunk into a recession. The economy is contracted by 3% in the first quarter. This is much worse than expected. But if you look at it from a World War III and geopolitical point of view, this is exactly what China wanted. New data shows that foreclosures in the USA have jumped 
22% just in the first quarter compared with last year. Foreclosure activity in the USA increased for 23 straight months. They're not even there yet with unemployment. They want you to lose your job, get paid less, but still pay on credit for higher than ever prices. Unemployment rates and inflation is the primary factor that is being reported by banks on foreclosures. Housing affordability is now worse than it was during the 2007 financial crisis. When the breakdown of foreclosure filings come in, we see Michigan leading all of the states with a 41% jump. The number of foreclosure filings is continuing to climb. This was after the federal moratorium stopped it in the year 2021. During that crisis, an estimated 2 million homeowners fell behind on their mortgages. Now, the banks are looking at all of what they're seeing, and they're looking right at the ability to take back those homes and sell them, of course, not in Texas, to other uh, hedge funds and other citizens from other countries, but in every other state, that's exactly what's happening. Major metropolitan areas are seeing foreclosures at higher than other levels. New York is seeing multiple uh, points of increase. Chicago, Los Angeles, Houston, Texas, Philadelphia. These are the most significant metro areas with the highest foreclosure ratings. One in every 500 units, housing units, is up for foreclosure right now in states like North Carolina. This is, this is the highest rate in the USA. South Carolina is seeing three of the top 15, while California has two in the top 15 regions that are undergoing foreclosures. This is uh, in March 2023, we started to see one in every 3,000 properties had a foreclosure, so it's just skyrocketed. Now, while the U.S. government sits there and tells you that everything's going to be okay, they assure what is left of American allies of NATO and American allies in general that the banking system is stable, Silicon Valley Bank, Silvergate Bank, Signature Bank, First Republic Bank, they are all failing. They have collapsed in the last 60 days. And we see economists say that it's just not over from here. We can expect in the next 60 days to see four, 10, 15, or even more banks collapse. Since March, those banks fell. First Republic was the 14th largest bank. Silicon Valley Bank, 16th largest bank. Silvergate was down there at 147th. Signature Bank, 29th largest bank. And then we had the 45th largest bank in the world all crumble to ash in the last 60 days. But the U.S. government, remember, everything's fine. The banking system is completely sound. We're seeing reports that Nevada's congressional delegation, uh, delegation are sending out warning alarms at this moment in time to members of the government. They say that the U.S. government must do more to fight a potentially lethal drug-resistant form of fungus that is contagious and an outbreak is happening in Las Vegas hospitals as well as long-term care facilities. The Nevada State Public Health Laboratory detected mutations in this fungus correlated with drug resistance. They say that these infections will become a lot more common and a lot more difficult to treat. A letter to the CDC in which Nevada says that the state needs additional federal support to help fight this outbreak. Now, this fungus in particular can spread from surfaces where it can linger for large periods of time. It's invisible to the eye. It can also spread by colonized people who don't know they have it. Nevada leaders are asking the federal government to take decisive action against this fungus to swiftly deliver necessary resources to the public health sector before it's too late. They say that if you wait until these mutations continue, then you're going to see a massive change in brain abscesses. A whole bunch of bad things are happening. Worrying data is reaching the front pages of reporting outlets that show on the just-released University of Michigan survey, even more concerning trends are starting to materialize. Most worrisome for inflation and the Federal Reserve, they show that both short-term and long-term inflation expectations are on a never-ending peak. In combination with other data, this highlights a probability of outcomes, they say, that has been on the warning scale of, uh, of economists for months. Inflation is more than sticky. It's here to stay. U.S. consumers' longer-term inflation expectations are up. 
This is while sentiment remains down. Basically, you're depressing the people by making them pay more in perpetuity. Consumers that were surveyed by the university expect inflation to average 3 to 5% for 10 years, up from 2% in March. That's just the first increase in five months. Respondents expected prices to climb at annual rates of 5% to 10% over the next single year period and then every year thereafter. So where you're paying 20, 30, 40% more for a product right now, everybody expects, and don't get me wrong, this is what their companies look for. Everybody expects to pay another 10% next year, then 10% more the next year. And these companies are just sitting like Scrooge McDuck swimming in their golden bullions saying, look at what the people expect. And they're still not rioting. They love this junk because they want the people to be okay with paying more. They'll put it on credit. They'll work extra jobs. They'll send the kids off to school. They'll make everybody live in the same house. Eight people in the same home, each working 16 jobs. They love this. They want you working like a slave from the day you are legally allowed to work overtime until the day that you die. They say despite the increasingly negative view on business conditions that have been heard by consumers, short and long-term economic outlooks are even worse. They say that these events that are happening are just an indicator that we are in world war, uh, a world war against the U.S. economy. I want you to look at what's happening in artificial intelligence. OpenAI closed recently at a $10 billion funding round. It valued the company at $30 billion. Now, I asked ChatGPT, how many lower class jobs would it take to add up to $29 billion? This was ChatGPT's reply. The number of lower class jobs required to add up to $29 billion depends on the definition of lower class, the average salary of these jobs in question. Assuming that an average salary of $30,000 per year is lower class, it takes 1 million jobs to add up to $29 billion in earnings. This is calculated, ChatGPT was quick to tell me, by dividing $29 billion by around $30,000 per year per job, which equals approximately 966,667 jobs. Isn't it interesting how they throw those numbers in there? So here we have a company that just rolled out, and a single company being valued, one item being valued worth 1 million jobs. One item. And those are the jobs that it is valued at directly replacing. I talked to a friend recently who said, well, I can, uh, you know, I can, I'm a plumber and no, no chat GPT, no artificial intelligence can turn the wrench. So I took him to the computer and I said, well, let's type about a common plumbing problem. I said, you know, I flushed the tampon down the toilet. What do I do? Within seconds, ChatGPT laid out the list from going to the store to what I need to purchase to how to manage it. I said, okay, well, this tampon is stuck in a clog somewhere between the bottom of the toilet and my septic system. What do I do? ChatGPT laid out all the list of what to do. I said, okay, well, I have this model vehicle and I need to change the brakes on it. What do I need to do? It lays out a go buy this, do this. Then I ran into this problem. How do I fix it? It lays out the problem. So even though it can't turn a wrench, even though it can't diagnose your electricity problem directly and physically in front of you, what it can do is replace 40% of the calls that go to these outlets that keep these jobs alive. And so what you're going to see happen is all of the plumbers who they will remain in business, all of the electricians who have artificial intelligent resilient jobs, all of these job places and marketplaces will start to be forced to charge more because they will do less work. It's like why a tractor or a four-wheeler costs more money because they're putting good uh, materials into them but selling fewer volumes, fewer units per year. So they charge exorbitant amounts. There's absolutely no reason why a tractor in USD in India should cost around three to $7,000 USD. Great tractor. And then you come over to America and it costs forty-five, $125,000 except they have an expectation of how many units they need to sell to be rich and powerful. So here we have one program, just a single program, deleting 1 million jobs and then making 40% of other jobs unnecessary. This is a day of reckoning. 
The financial system in whole is breaking. <clears throat> they say that this is because of the stress of rising interest rates. Despite these consequences, you have interviews of individuals on television like Janet Yellen, who says this is a good thing because it's going to help central banks in the long run. Credit card debt right now sits at a record high in the USA. We have a Barclays report showing credit impairments up to 400% in one quarter alone. Inflation is still running red hot. And I want to remind you that no matter what lies they tell to you, the consumer, you and me, we are not okay. Zimbabwe's central bank has plans to sell gold-backed digital currencies to the public starting this month in a couple of days. Argentina's vice president has blamed the recent spiral of inflation and currency devaluation on the United States dollar and on America. Things are getting very awkward in the entire world. Argentina now wants to join the BRICS, and they're going to pay for Chinese imports in yuan instead of U.S. dollars. They're going to stop paying for imports from China in the USD. They're going to start instead exchanging items for the Chinese currency. This is the aim to preserve the country's international reserve, they say. That's the uh, economy minister, Sergio Massa. This was his announcement, just saying that the entire world is shifting away from America. <clears throat> now, after the U.S. government backtracked on all of their plans to move forward with a complete digital dollar, we're starting to see it creep back through. What's that going to lead to in the U.S. economy? We're seeing economists say that things are about to get really bad. This is a quote. It doesn't happen overnight, but housing costs a very long casts a very long shadow and is economically more dangerous than the stock market. That's Jeremy Grantham. He says the bad news is that housing moves slowly. The peak last time was 2006, but it didn't get done in 2012. It took six years. So when we have Bank of America and other reporting outlets saying that this housing crisis is literally just at the beginning of the crash, we might have six or 10 more years of downturn to come. Bank of America has made a bull call on gold, and they have said that right now is the perfect time to own bullion. Why are we seeing this happen? Even the rats in the American economy are jumping ship toward China, toward Russia, bullion or uh, currency, commodity-backed currency is going to be the world's order in the next couple of years. And then we have this massive amount of uh, virus and contagion happening across the world. The H5N1 bird flu outbreak is in the USA. The latest mammals that have been affected are three mountain lions in California, red foxes and a possum in New York. A new study shows that H5N1 can spread efficiently now between mammals. It has become the first study to clearly confirm that this virus is changing. <clears throat> now, whether they made it change on purpose, whether they allowed it to change, whether they propagated the change, who could ever say? What we know is that if it does, a start, if it does start affecting human beings in the way it's affecting tens of thousands of sea lions, massive amounts of birds, you're going to see death on a scale that is unlike anything you have ever lived through. The Black Plague will be back again. So what do you do to get ready for that? Well, you don't live in fear of it. Instead, you say, I know that this is a possibility. We've got these absolute idiots in laboratories playing creator with these viruses. We have them doing this on purpose. We have biological events taking place in our world. We have cyclical events taking place. How do I, as an individual, get ready? Create a decontamination plan for your family. It's not surreal. It's not uh, an extremist thing to do. You say, if a contamination is happening, if a contagion is out there that's laying out, actually killing 50% of the population, what do I need to do to help it from get, entering into my home? Well, one is reduce your exposure. Then you're going to need to think about, actually, you know, you've seen, I'm sure, when a person is exposed to radiation, the amount of scrubbing and the complete washdown that they get before they pass into another area, their old clothes are, uh, you know, buried or taken care of in another way, basically kept from touching anything else. Not to that extent, but that's close to what you would have to consider. Rain gear, goggles, full mask. Uh, you know, do the things that are necessary to reduce exposure. Stay in the open air. Life will have to go on. 
you don't live in fear, you don't do what they did last time, which is what, you know, make everybody afraid of everything. Instead, life has to go on. And so how are you going to get your things purchased? What kind of market are you going to take part in in the open air? Think about these things, because if you don't, and instead you put on a bravado show of nothing's ever, I, I'm not afraid of that, or nothing concerns me. Well, let me tell you, I wear a seatbelt, not because I'm afraid of getting into a car accident, but because the guy that I've seen taken out with the jaws of life concerned me enough to say, I'm going to put on my seatbelt and drive a vehicle that has airbags. That's not a fear-driven thing. That's just a thing that is intelligent to do. And so just like that, or uh, you know, giving your children uh, good food, trying not to give them the poisons that they give them out there in uh, the consumer world, doing these things are going to help you survive what's coming. Think about it. Let me know your thoughts down in the comments. How are, what are some of your uh, biological contagion plans? What are some of your economic crisis plans? Share these ideas with other people because you might have something in your head that somebody else says, wow, that's really easy. I can implement that. Doesn't matter if I'm young or old, disabled or you know, able-bodied. It really doesn't matter. I can do this. Share it with people. That's how we help each other survive. You don't have to be Rambo. You can live on and survive being Rambo. That's somebody's grandma. Somebody in the comments coined that the other day. I hope that you guys will continue to watch what's happening in the world around us. Talk with people about it. Uh, you know, share ideas with other people. Can food if you can. Grow a little garden. Uh, you know, get to the shooting range. A friend of ours, uh, Dave, just went out to the range and sighted in some of his uh, kinetic projectile tools the other day. Learn self-defense if you don't already know it. Uh, you know, have self-defense tools available to you just in this, uh, you know, area in front of me. I have a, uh, you know, a baton right here. We were doing some practice recently, some pictures with it. Uh, you know, this, this really isn't going to do anything. I guess you could, uh, you know, I, I could really pop some balloons with this. But hey, if, if it's all you've got, it's all you have. Uh, Kelly said what? Uh, yeah, she said behind me, we've got all sorts of knives and, uh, you know, ballistic pro uh, project uh, projectile uh, protection tools, just things everywhere. So have tools around you that you can use to defend yourself because you don't know when those bad days are come, uh, coming. If you watch Reddit and you look on subreddits like took too much, that basically shows individuals who are high on PCP, out of their mind on acid, violent in some cases. I watched a video this morning of a guy naked in the middle of California on the street, tons of cars passing around him, and he is just high on something, yanking the bumper off of a vehicle that's literally mowing him down. He gets knocked down, like that song from Shrek goes, he gets back up again, and he literally is yanking on his bumper and throwing it over, punching the car window in. Don't be a victim. Be ready to help yourself and your family because you don't know the hour that somebody is going to take too much, get crazy on you, want to do your family harm. Just get ready. That's all I'm asking of you. Do what you can with the tools you have available to you. Not everybody can spend six days at the range, $10,000 on ammunition. Not everybody can get you know a bunker deep down in the middle of some government-controlled forest that no one else has access to. But if you have an apartment, you can grow a little bit of food, you can work on your self-defense, you can put up some uh, surveillance cameras, and you can be as ready as you can be. That's what we do to get ready. Thank you guys for being here with us today and every day. From my family to yours, please stay safe and keep watch. This week's Full Spectrum News is brought to us by each one of you, all of our members on Patreon. Make sure that you check out contingencymedical.com for real antibiotics. That's part of a lot of people's plan is having something to keep themselves from getting sick in the event of a disaster that they can't reach a doctor or, to or if they go on a long trip or whatever. And these niggas got to accept all kind of shit. Y'all niggas in Hollywood got to accept all this just for money? Y'all got to accept all this BS just for money. How much money you niggas need? How much fame do you niggas want and need? Like, it ain't good enough for you to be regular men no more. You niggas gotta be connected to the TV. Oh, this quote. Man, ain't no way that would have been grand opening, grand closing. Oh, no. And you know what's sad? Because I remember this dude, Isaiah Washington, right? Okay. And so let's get into it. Oh, you just switched to total number of victims, five, and uh, the person that police are looking for right now, Dion Patterson, still believed to be 
uh, out there at large, dangerous. They say, if you see this person, please do not approach them. Call 911 instead. Let's bring back in Kathy Guidenau, a former FBI agent, helping us understand what's likely happening behind the scenes. Kathy, we now have a name, a date of birth, those still images from what appear to be security cameras in the building. Um, what more can you tell us about, about this stage of the uh, manhunt now that they have been able to positively identify it? Right. So one of the key points that I also took away from your last correspondent, Mark, um, he had mentioned that there was a possibility that the suspect's mother was talking to police, mm -hmm. and that's huge. So now we have um, a name, we have date of birth, we possibly have a mother um, who is assisting. So the police will be going into the um, intelligence gathering mode to get all the information they can find on this um, Dion Sanders. Um, they're going to be looking at, you know, oh, Patterson, I believe. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry, Patterson. Yes. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. Patterson. Um, they're going to be looking at everything on social media that he has put out there, um, you know, and his work, his employment, his neighborhood, his friends. They're going to be going through all of that in a very quick basis, um, trying to get the latest information. You know, has he put anything out on social media since this started? Um, you know, what's the uh, connectivity with his mother? Has she been in contact with him? Have they been able to have any type of communication since this happened with him, um, you know, through the mother? There's a lot going on behind the scenes at this point in time. All right, Kathy Geider, with all your expertise from your years at the FBI, thank you. We now want to connect with Alan Judd. He's an investigative reporter for the AJC, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the major paper there in Atlanta, to see what more we can um, discuss. Alan, tell me, based on what you're hearing, we now have a name of the suspect, four images, police telling folks to hunker down if you're in the area, but stay away from this suspect. Um, what can you tell me about how this is impacting the city? Uh, it's really caused a lot, of, uh, a lot of chaos. Uh, there are hundreds of law enforcement personnel who have converged on, on Midtown. Midtown Atlanta is a very uh, busy area with a lot of office buildings, uh, apartment buildings, you know, retail establishments, uh, hotels, a uh, very vibrant part of the city, and it is basically shut down now. Um, traffic is, is, is a standstill in an area, and people are being told to shelter in place. Uh, until the suspect is located. Uh, Alan, we have heard a little bit about the possibility that the suspect's mother, who police have identified as Dion Patterson, may be speaking with authorities. In your reporting, have you learned anything more about whether this is happening or any other insight that you can bring? We don't really know uh, exactly what's happening with her. We, we, we understand that she was in the office that the shooting took place in. We don't know whether she was there as a patient or whether she works there. Um, we, we know that she apparently was uh, was able to get away from from the location, and uh, you know, the reporting that we're hearing is, is that she is is cooperating with the police. And you know, this is a breaking story. It's all unfolded in just the past few hours since lunchtime, and so the the information we're relying on is from the Atlanta police. They, of course, being very careful about what they say and what they show as they continue to try to find the suspect. Uh, but I just want to pull back the veil a little bit, Alan, for our viewers, because you will know, as, as we know in our newsroom, a lot of people say a lot of things when news like this breaks. And there was footage of an individual on a rooftop that Atlanta police determined was a construction worker. It wasn't the suspect. Um, talk to us about how this type of breaking news moment that unnerves so many people um, can be challenging when it comes to verifying what's accurate and keeping people safe. Yeah, it's 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 very difficult because there is so much happening and so much is happening very quickly, uh, all at once um, as, as, as well. And there are already or a number of, of of things that have been reported that that turned out to be probably not correct. Uh, there there have been reports of a, of a carjacking maybe involved. It, involved and then there's a report that no that carjacking had nothing to do with this uh the, this person slotted on top of a roof nearby apparently was not was not the suspect so there's there's a lot of um, of information that's flowing very rapidly that 
is unconfirmed. It's really important to to kind of step back and and you know, unfortunately, have to wait to see exactly what is happening. And Alan, as we're stepping back uh, and, and trying to understand this in a larger context, there are so many mass shootings that uh, unfortunately happen on a very regular basis here in the United States. What about this particular incident makes it more concerning, garners this level of attention? Is it that the suspect is still at large? Is it uh, the area in Atlanta, a, a very busy space in which it took place? Is it that it took place in a medical facility? Uh, tell us more about the Atlanta landscape and, and how this piece of the puzzle fits into the national picture. I think I think it's a little bit of all, all of those things. Uh, the, the fact that this person is still at large is, you know, is, is unusual because in, in most of mass shootings we've seen in recent um, recent years, the suspect tends to be either apprehended on the scene. Sometimes they they've taken their own lives, or they are killed in a shootout with police. And in this case, this person seems to to have uh, disappeared. Um, in a, in you know, pretty rapidly after after these shootings took place, so it's um, it's, it has a lot of people in a very uh, high, heavily populated, um, highly congested area, very concerned about about their safety because no one knows where he is or what he might do next. And Alan, I'm thinking back to a story I covered in Atlanta a few years ago, which was another mass shooting of someone who appeared to be targeting.